0: our children may be dismissed to Children's Church. For those of you who remain, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We are looking at the subject of joy and peace for anxious souls.
1: Philippians chapter 4.
0: This is God's Word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, as those who are prone to being anxious souls. Grant us your joy and your peace in Christ. That we might know what it means to be your people who overflow with thanksgiving. Who overflow with that joy and peace that can come only from you. We ask that you would do this in us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what worries
1: you Most might be hard to choose just one thing,
0: right? Just look out at the world. War in Ukraine, war in Africa, terror and conflict abound. Is there nuclear war in our future? Even when we look around, we see concerns about the climate, concerns about inflation, concerns about all sorts of things that burden not just the people of our nation, but peoples all over the world. Close to home, we look around and we are anxious about a great many things. Increasing crime, the weird conflicts in our culture, a pandemic that doesn't seem to want to go away, an epidemic of loneliness. We don't even have to go too far out into the world to look for things to be anxious about. We can just stay right in our own beings with worries about our our health, Will we do okay or well enough in school? What about our jobs or our families or the relationships around us? There are so many things for us to worry about.
1: So what worries you?
0: You know, we are not alone in those worries. The scriptures would not talk about dealing with anxiety and fear so much if it was a condition foreign to us. Worries afflict us, and they afflicted those in the church at Philippi too. And in that, we have a real connection with them. They were full of anxiety about the the secular forces around them. That Wanted them to conform to an ideology that declared Caesar is Lord. Just go through the motions. You can have all the other lords and gods that you want. As long as you have Caesar as Lord too. And when the believers did not fit into that mold. When they did not abide by those customs. When they declared Jesus as Lord. They were met with rejection. And outright oppression and isolation, and alienation. They had worries within their congregation. There were these false teachers that had infiltrated their number, spreading things about Christ that were not true, sharing words that had nothing to do with the good news that Jesus announced. They had their beloved Apostle Paul in prisons, not knowing if he would live or die. Their dear friend, Epaphroditus. What's his name? Not Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Oh, those Greek names. Pronouncing them can be a mouthful. And he was so sick. He almost died. The people of Philippi were concerned about him. No doubt they had other friends and family who were struggling. They had internal strife between Yodia and Syntyche that was tearing the church apart. They had much to be anxious
1: about. So, what were
0: they to do? What are we to do? The Apostle Paul tells us here in these verses. That the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, points anxious souls to joy and to peace in Jesus. The gospel points anxious souls to joy and peace in Jesus. Sometimes it can be hard for us to see and hard for us to find. And so we're going to look this morning at two Areas, not the only two areas that ever exist, but two of the biggest areas that increase anxiety and what it means for us to find that joy and peace in the Lord. So two areas where worry thrives and what it means for us to find joy and peace in the Lord. So the first thing I want us to consider is how worry often thrives Amid an unhealthy obsession with self. There is a lot of talk in our culture today about self-care. You've got to care for yourself. And self-care as a, a concept is good and noble and true. Dr. Lloyd-Jones uh, covers it in the first few chapters of his book on spiritual depression. But self-care in its, in its essence is this idea that we are embodied souls. And if we are to thrive, we ought to care well for our bodies and our souls. And so if you are sick, go to the doctor. If you need medicine, take it. If you need to talk to a pastor or a counselor, talk to them. If you need to sleep more, if you need to eat better, if you need to exercise, do these things. Because they help care for your body. If you need to wrestle with the things that are afflicting your heart and your soul, if you need to talk to those who can help you, Wrestle with them. If you need to understand more of who your God is, if you need to seek his face more diligently, do these things. This is nourishment for your soul. And if this is what self-care means, then I'm all for it. But our culture gets self-care wrong. Moves it out of helping our bodies and souls thrive into the realm of indulgence and selfishness. It's wine o'clock. So pour yourself a glass and feel good. Pursue happiness. And if there are things in your life that, make, that feel toxic or that, that make you feel bad about yourself, leave those things behind no matter what they are or who they are. And go find the things and the people that will make you happy. That's what Life is all about, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what Paul says here in verse 4 is that he wants the Philippians and he wants us to learn what it means to rejoice in the Lord. This is the category that he uses again and again and again, not just in the book of Philippians, but in Colossians and Ephesians and in every letter Paul writes this theological concept of union with Christ, of being so connected to Jesus that it can be said that we are in him. And that it's in that connection to Jesus that we will find the power and the ability and the knowledge and the understanding to rejoice but but you cannot find lasting joy and happiness in yourself you are too unstable You might leave this one toxic circumstance and go somewhere else where for a moment the grass seems so green here. But there's a saying, even in the secular world, that wherever you go, there you are. And the weight of the lies and the shame of your life will chase you down and find you wherever you may be. And reality will break in, and you'll find that you can't manufacture a happiness for yourself that lasts. And the reason you can't is because the brokenness and sin that infects this world, that presses down and weighs down on us, it infects you too. But it does not infect the Lord. He is glorious in righteousness and holiness and truth. And in Him, we don't just catch sight of what joy is. He invites us to participate in it, to possess it, and to have it in Him. And When we access that joy in Him, it unlocks for us the ability to let our reasonableness be known to everyone. This, this reasonableness that Paul uh, invites the Philippians to display is this evidence that we are not controlled by our circumstances or our passions, that these internal longings and desires that are insatiable don't rule us and don't move us to go from one place to the other, always seeking a little bit more of that happiness we can't ever seem to hold on to tightly enough. Or that our circumstances don't always have to be happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time in order for us to know the joy of the Lord. We are not ruled by them. We are ruled by the Lord, and we are found in him, and it doesn't matter where he calls us to go. It doesn't matter what we have to wrestle with in our own souls. We know that the Lord himself, the Lord of glory, is sufficient. And he sends us, he leaves us in this world, in no small part, to be salt and light, so that a world that is weighed down with heavy fear and deep anxiety, i look up and see in God's people, not people that know how to run from all the trouble, not people that know how to satiate all their desires at whatever the cost, but a people in whom the Lord Jesus Christ dwells with joy unquenchable. So that our reasonableness isn't just evident to one another, but it's known by everyone. So that when they look up, they see that though we may have fear, that we may be burdened with anxieties, that there are worries and troubles that assail us, they don't rule us because we are hidden in Christ, our Savior, our Lord. And there is in this call to reasonableness, a reasonableness that is to manifest itself to a watching world, there is a call that echoes what Paul has been saying throughout this letter, to not be so focused on you. In our unity with Jesus, we are empowered to focus on others, to to serve without looking for anything in return. There is this intentional move to not consider our own interests more important than others, but to put others' interests first. To care for those around us. To help give words of encouragement to answer their fears and their worries. To be salt and light to wherever we are. Worry And fear and anxiety, it thrives when we have an unhealthy obsession with self. Because we always want something. We want that that happiness. And we try to manufacture it and we try to give it to ourselves. And we think, well, if I answer this desire of my heart, if I answer this desire, if I leave this place and go there. But there is one antidote to worry. That when we are so rooted in Christ that we have a taste of His joy, that when we can turn our focus outside of ourselves to others, one antidote to worry is to serve, to give, to help others find the freedom that we know in Jesus. Where are you prone to turn your attention inward and to live with an unhealthy obsession with self there's so many in my own heart i'm not sure really which one to talk about with you but but one thing one as as i i want to know what's coming next no I want to control what's coming next in this world to minimize my own anxieties, to minimize my own fears. And so I get so obsessed with doing so that I'm not frustrated, so that I'm not stepping into the unknown, so that I don't have to worry about what's coming around the bend, that I can crush
1: the people around me.
0: Where are you prone to have an unhealthy obsession with yourself? Where in your pursuit of finding that joy, you are destroying the people around you.
1: Maybe it's not control. Maybe it's something else for you. What would it look like for you to turn from
0: that to the Lord and to find in Him the ability to consider others ahead of yourself? To learn more and more what it means To be that non-anxious presence in people's lives. Where you are willing to step into their hurts and their fears and their troubles. Without consideration for yourself. And to serve them. And bring them sight of the joy that you have in Christ. What would it look like for you to not be obsessed with yourself? but to be obsessed with serving others in Christ.
1: You don't have to go far. I mean, look look
0: at your family. Look at your neighbors, your co-workers, your church members. What would it look like for us to not be so worried about what people are doing for us, but to consider prayerfully what it looks like for us To be ambassadors of Christ to them. To take his kindness, his patience, his grace, his forgiveness, his joy to them. Are you bearing the fruit of joy and love and peace and patience and kindness in your relationships? Or are you letting worry run amok in your life because you have an unhealthy obsession with your own desires and
1: your own needs?
0: Worry often thrives also amid an unbelief in the Lord. And this unbelief that I'm talking about is, is not just pagan Rejection of Jesus. This is an unbelief that infects God's own people, a practical, functional unbelief where we live like we don't believe God is who He says He is. And one of the ways that we do this is that we get God's purposes wrong. We want God's will to conform to ours, we want to bend His power and purposes to our ends. The Lord. You know, give me the job, give me the spouse, give me the children that my heart desires. And, and when it doesn't work out the way that we want, we are full of disappointment. A disappointment that infects our relationship with the Lord. And we forget that God's purposes are never bent to the will of another. But he is conforming his people. Bending, shaping, molding his people in accordance with his holy and perfect will. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, this is God's will for your life. Your sanctification. For you to become more and more like Jesus. For you to become more and more holy. And everything that he lets you endure, he is able to bend to that holy purpose. It might give you eyes to see, mind to understand, hearts to believe, hands and feet to act more and more in line with what God has called you to be. And we think this is an awful, awful plan. And the reason, if there is only one, might be We don't really believe how incredible and glorious and beautiful and good and loving our God is. And if you missed it, Paul says
1: in
0: verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, help me. When are we to rejoice in the Lord? Okay, you are definitely a bunch of Presbyterians in here. When? Way. And if you miss this, Paul says, again, I say, rejoice. This is a command. Our God, who is so holy and so righteous, who is truth incarnate, who is perfect in all that he does, when he comes to his people, he has a word of, of command to them. And we like to think, well, it's suffer, be miserable, do a bunch of hard things and tough it out and maybe suck it up and, and things will all work out in the end. The word that he comes to us with is rejoice.
1: This is, this is the kind of God we serve. And if He would call us to a life of joy, would He hide the means from us?
0: This is why Paul says the Lord is at hand. He's not talking about the, the second coming as much as He's talking about the nearness and imminence of God. He is not far away. He knows what you're going through. He Himself has endured such horrors and sufferings. He knows. Where you live. He knows what you endure, and He is near to you. And He does not give you this call to joy in some deceitful, sinister, cynical, ha ha, see, you can't do it moment. He draws near to you and says, In the midst of all that you endure, In the midst of all that burdens you, even in the face of all these worries and fears that are real, I am here. I'm calling you, inviting
1: you into my joy. But do you have eyes to
0: see all that God is doing and has done for you? When we have this unhealthy obsession with self, when we have this unbelief in the Lord, when we miss all that he is doing, we are not a people that overflow with thanksgiving. But he says, don't be anxious about anything in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. There is this, this overarching character of seeing who God is in a way that moves us to praise and glory and thanksgiving and joy because of who he is and what he's done. Our God did not sit high on heaven and stoop down and and just tell us to try harder. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't give us his commands with some impossible task for us to obey his holy word with perfection. But he took that burden on himself and he came and he lived in obedience and righteousness where we could not. He did not leave us to stand before the holy throne of God and give an account of ourselves on our own, but he stood before a holy God and he bore in his own body the penalty for our disobedience and he suffered death and he died so that when we face God, death is not something to be feared. It is the doorway that moves us from faith to sight. And he did not ask us to defeat the powers of sin and hell and death, but he did it himself and he rose again from the dead victorious over the grave so that you and I could have newness of life. If God would do such for us, how will he not also give us all the things that we need to be a people of joy and thanksgiving in him no matter what circumstances he calls us to endure? God's joy is not so shallow that it goes away when we endure hardship. God's peace is not so fragile that it can be shattered because we face conflict or fear. Don't live in functional unbelief. Remember who rules for you, who is near to you, and is conforming all things to, the, to his perfect will for you and for your good. Prayer is perhaps one of the most important ways we leave functional unbelief. And it's also one of the hardest things for
1: us to do. Why is that? How do you need to learn afresh to pray to your God? Who is good. Who is close. Who sees and hears.
0: The scriptures don't assume that we know how to pray or that we'll do it on our own. This is why all throughout we hear these calls to prayer. It's why Jesus was willing to teach his disciples to pray when they're like, we don't even know what to say. Well, how, do, how do we pray? This is something that we learn and grow in more and more. Which is one reason we try to provide all sorts of spaces for you to learn to pray. Join us before worship at 915 For a short time of prayer, you don't have to say anything. Just join us. Be there to hear the people of God lift up their prayers and concerns together. This is why we have a pastoral prayer in church. This is why the men meet on Thursday mornings and Thursday evenings via Zoom. This is why the women meet monthly to pray. Because we don't do this naturally on our own. What would it look like for you? To step out of your functional unbelief and to cast every care. Every prayer and every petition upon your God who is near. Where do you need to learn this
1: anew? Look,
0: the joy and the peace that we need, the joy and the peace that we want, it can only be found in Christ. All right, this is not technique. Technique. Some people look at all these words that Paul, he uses all these synonyms for prayer. Prayer, supplication, requests, let them be made known to God. And Paul is not giving us here techniques for prayer. He's just trying to drive home. the point: Prayer is important. It's a big deal. Let me throw all the words at it that I can. Sometimes we think that that finding the joy and peace of God is a a technique. It's, It's a certain list of things that we do a certain way. And then we get that joy. This was the mistake the Pharisees made the mistake we make when we think well if we just know all the right things or say all the right things or do all the right things then god will bless us and make us joyful and happy it's not a technique it's not a reward for performance it's not personality there are some people you know who they you know who they are you know who you are who just walk into a room and they're like chill That is the most reasonable dude I have ever seen. Like, nothing flusters that person. Well, that's probably not true. They just hide it really well. Some of the most chill people I know are the most anxious people. They just don't show it. But this isn't a personality. Like, God's trying to conform you to look all be a bunch of clones. This is not a natural disposition. This also isn't momentary. Paul wouldn't say always. In everything, about anything, always. This isn't just something that we get little glimpses of here and there. This is something we grow in and see more and more. Because the joy and the peace that we need, it's not technique, it's not personality, it's not momentary, it is divine. It can only be from God, and so it can only be found in God. And so when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, he is calling us to to shift everything that we think about joy. That our connection with Jesus, that we would be so found in him that his joy becomes our joy. What brings Jesus joy? Do you know? He tells a story about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go find the one that's lost. And when he brings him back, he says there is great rejoicing in heaven. The author of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, our Lord endured the cross, scorning its shame. What brings Jesus
1: joy? Drawing his people
0: closer to himself. Seeking and saving the lost. Those made in his image being restored to their creator and redeemer. That brings Jesus joy. And that's what he's doing. What would it look like for your joy? To become more and more like Jesus joy.
1: This peace that
0: passes all understanding. Again, it's not something you can manufacture. It's divine. It comes from God. And we are so connected to Jesus and so united to him that it can be said that what is, brings him peace or what he sees as peace, his peace is our peace.
1: What is the peace of God? What is it that he gives us? scriptures talk about it. We
0: have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not war, not conflict, not suspicion or cynicism or doubt. We have peace with him. Open and healthy relation. Peace for those who are far off. Peace for those who are near. Jesus, he himself is our peace because it's In him and through him, that whatever could possibly separate us from the love of God, he dealt with and took care of and set aside that we might know that no matter what, that if we're walking through hard circumstances, it's not because the Lord is crushing us underfoot or dropping an anvil on our head or somehow casting us aside. We have peace with God. Passes all understanding. And whatever we may endure, we endure knowing that he is able to use it to mold us and shape us more and more in his likeness and image because he's Lord of everything. And that peace and that joy, it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Perhaps we could spend a whole nother sermon on this verse. But note, it's, it's your whole being. So how you think. It's how you live. It's how you feel. When Jesus brings his peace to bear on your life, it is for the totality of who you are. And there is an opportunity for you to grow in it. But more than that, he guards you. All of you. Until the day when he'll bring you to himself and perfect you fully and finally forever. And so if we think that the joy and the peace of God is found in all of our problems going away. And us living Perfectly. We're not totally wrong. That day is coming, but it's not here yet. But God does not make us wait until glory to experience his joy and peace. His joy and peace are so great, we can have them and know them even in the midst of this broken, sinful, wicked, and crazy world. John Newton, supposedly, I can't find the footnote on this. John Newton supposedly said it this way If you understand the grace of God, it makes the best times leavable and the worst times bearable. You're not ruled by your circumstances, you're not controlled by your passions, you're not crushed by the fears and weight of this world because you know who your God is. And you know who you are in him. What will it look like for us as a church to shine forth with that message of hope, of joy and peace for an anxious world? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, to confront the ways that we Chase after a counterfeit joy, a counterfeit peace. And we don't look for it in you. Draw us near to you, Lord. Confront us with the reality of who we are that we might find in you and not in ourselves. That joy and peace. Remind us of what it is you have done and are doing that we might overflow with thanksgiving and be encouraged to lift up every prayer and petition to you. Help us, O oh God, to be so anchored in you that we, that we are a lighthouse of hope, joy, and peace to an anxious world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.